Coming to you from the Philadelphia area, this is the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. Mark 3 and verse 1 says, And again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save life or to kill. And yet they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored. And then the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus as to how they might destroy him. All right, so once again, we find Jesus in a moment that is very early on in his earthly ministry. Once again, we find Jesus in a synagogue on a Saturday, on, on a Sabbath day. And once again, we find a man who is in the synagogue environment who is being tormented by, by suffering and by pain. There's this guy who Mark describes as having a withered hand and I don't know specifically what this infirmity is. I'm sure that our in-house nurses and doctors could help us out on this. If it is a paralysis of the hand, if it is CP of some kind, I don't know. But he has something very wrong with his hand and Jesus restores it to a normal looking hand. And you know, if that were the end of the story, this would be a very short sermon. I, I would already be extending the gospel invitation. But as it turns out, Jesus and this man are not the only ones who are there. In the text, there is also a group of Pharisees who have converged upon this synagogue service. Now, I just want to ask the question. I'm just so curious as I read this. Why are these Pharisees here on this morning? I mean, we would assume that it's because they want to pray to Jehovah and to, to hear the words of God, maybe even to even teach out of the word of God. But it's made very clear to us that although they might claim that's why they were there, that's not why they're there. There's another reason why they have come. If you look at up ahead in the text in Mark chapter 2, at, at the last thing Mark mentions before Mark 3 begins... Jesus and his disciples were walking through a grain field, and it was on the Sabbath day. When all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, there's all of these Pharisees who just pop up out of the grains. It's like, where did these guys come from? But, but they're instantly saying, hey, you guys are in violation of breaking our traditions of what we believe ought not to be done on the Sabbath. And you're in violation of penal code 666775 section R335. And I mean, what do you heathens have to say for yourselves? I mean, Jesus is literally being followed by a group of religious enforcers 
And what are they doing? They have their, their fingers pointed at his disciples. And they're making accusations against them of breaking the law of Moses. Well, okay, I mean, you might be wondering, I mean, isn't this a series about demonology? I didn't hear the word demon in this text, David. I mean, what, what does this have to do with demons? And yet a closer look at our text this morning will reveal that there is demonic energy in this synagogue after all. And it's not in the person who we might initially expect. It's not the man with the withered hand who has demonic attachments or who has, has demonic energy. But as we look at verse 2, though, the closer that we look at this verse, the more it becomes clear to us. And I'll read it again, Mark 3 and verse 2. And the Pharisees were watching Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Now where I see demonic energy in this synagogue lies in one word, and it's in the word accuse. I mean, there's just something about a finger pointed in my face and a very harsh tone and an accusation being made against me that has a way of putting a lump in my throat and a knot in my chest. Something about an accusation against me and a finger pointed in my face that causes my heart to rapidly pound and the jackhammer in my chest. And I think we all know that feeling, about that pang of anxiety that we feel when we're being accused of something, especially something that we know that we didn't really do. But it's a distortion of what somebody thought or, or wants it to be true about us. Where it just feels like, like another person is putting us on the witness stand. And what we need to understand is that this is what the very existence of Satan and the spiritual forces of, of evil and darkness are predicated upon. All that Satan, his angels, and his demons go about doing in this world is lying, deceiving, and accusing. They lie, they deceive, and they accuse, and that is all that they do. See, as we're speaking about Satan, I mean, we have an adversary whose very name literally means the one who points the finger. Another name for him is the finger pointer. Hasatan in the Hebrew means, it can mean adversary, it can mean attacker, but, but primarily what it means is accuser. Now it's very important that we, we just pause for a moment and establish a very important point. Is that sometimes there is a time and a place to accuse somebody. For instance, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus rightly exposes the, the religious hypocrisy of the religious leaders. In his letter, the Apostle Paul rightly alleges and he, and he shares information about how a man named Alexander the coppersmith had done incredible harm to him. Women silently enduring decades of sexual harassment and of domestic abuse rightfully blow the whistle on this whenever this is true. 
I mean, there is a proper time and a proper place to point a finger at somebody. And yet, as an absolute last resort, though, I would say. And you know, five years ago, I discovered just how true this can be. Not that long ago, I, I had a job where I had a toxic coworker, And for, I don't know why, but they didn't like me very much. It happens, right? Well, I'm talking about an abusive coworker who would, sub, who, who would subject me to what very easily could be described as illegal workplace harassment. And this is, and I mean, this was going on behind closed doors. I mean, I'm talking about dehumanizing chastisement. No matter what I did, her finger was in my face, even if I did it exactly the way that she told me to do it. I'm talking about mocking my severe speech disorder that I had at the time when she learned that I was bullied as a child. I'm talking about trying very hard to get me reprimanded by the higher-ups at that job. And I mean, this went on for four years behind closed doors. And where I was in that moment, at that time, in my understanding was, you know what, I, I can't say anything about it. And that's because I don't want to be the guy who points the finger at somebody else. So I'm just going to ignore it. And I mean, I was literally willing to endure panic attacks and, and depression episodes if it meant not pointing a finger at that person. But you know what I learned is that sometimes there are situations where pointing the finger and calling something out is the only solution that there might be. And yet having said that though, there is a very stark difference though between reporting a pattern of destructive behavior and malicious accusation. That very huge difference there. And it is malicious accusation that the accuser and that his legion of angels and demons traffic in. Now I shared with you a moment ago what the Hebrew name for, for devil is, Hasatan, but, but in the Greek, New Testament scripture, it is a word of diabolos. Now what diabolos is, is meaning is one who slanders, one who falsely accuses another person. It's, it's someone who is criticizing another person with a very deliberate intention of wounding them. It means to intentionally make false statements about another person in order to destroy and to assassinate their reputation and to break their spirits. And you see, this is what is going on in the book of Job, for example. Now, as we might remember, Job is the most upright, God-fearing man on the face of the earth. But, but what is Satan doing before any of these tragedies happen in his life? Satan already has his finger in God's face. Before anything has happened to Job, and he's already accusing Job before God, he is going to curse you to your face. Well, here's where this gets very alarming and very interesting. Because usually in the text, Diabolos does speak about Satan, about Hasatan, our accuser. And yet that's not the only time that that name is used. Sometimes that name, devil, speaks about people. In the Gospel of John, as, as he gets up out of the upper room and he leaves, Jesus calls Judas Iscariot Diabolos. 
First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11, Paul warns that, that wives of deacons must not be slanders, but what the original audience would have heard is they must not be diaboloses, who go about slandering brothers and sisters in the church. Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul warns how in the last days, there will be all these people who have the appearance that they're righteous men and holy women, but... Among other things, they will be malicious gossips. And that's what we hear with our American ears. But what they would have heard is they must not be diaboloses. See, in other words, when we resort to maliciously gossiping about each other or, or about whoever it is, we are actually taking on the form of devils. We are becoming the diabolos himself. And I don't know about you, but I mean, it feels like the temperature in this room just went up about 20 or 30 degrees, doesn't it? That we can be a diabolos if we give ourselves over to this malicious accusation of a spirit. And as we notice in the text and, and all throughout the Gospels, this, this is exactly the direction that the Pharisees go in. What we find with the Pharisees so oftentimes is religious fingers being pointed at God and the people of God. Now, I mean, as Jesus healed the man with the withered hand, we would have expected these Pharisees to be just rejoicing and celebrating in the streets. Tears of joy flowing down their, their chins that God has set him free from his infirmity. I mean, let's just imagine for a moment that, that this was us living back then. We're in a synagogue service, and Jesus walks up to Kathy Martino. And in the blink of an eye, he sets her free from her arthritis. Takes all of her physical woes away, and now she has a perfect bill of health. And yet we look over here, or over there, and... And the most religiously educated men in the room are just seething with rage. They're storming out of the, the synagogue saying that we've got to destroy the person who did this to Kathy. I mean, can we see how demonic of a spirit and of an attitude this is walking into a synagogue service with? Now in the text in Mark chapter 3, it says that they're watching Jesus. Now, in the original language, what this means literally in living color is that they, they are watching very intensely. I mean, these guys aren't even blinking an eye. Jesus actually says something to them, but they don't hear what he's saying because they're looking fiercely at, what, at everything Jesus is about to do with this man. And the reason Paul or Paul Mark reveals, it says in the text, so that they might accuse him. So that they might point a finger in his face, sound the sirens, and say, we get to pull Jesus over. We get to point our finger in his face and to file a grievance against him in front of all of these people. And you know, as we go through the gospel books, this only gets worse and worse and worse with the religious establishments. Because twice in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus sets a man and... Um, I'm actually two men free of demons who are making them mutes. 
Both times, religious fingers are being pointed at God, at Jesus. And they're alleging that it's only by the power of Satan that he's able to drive out the demons. And again, we see how, how malicious this is. I mean, this is malicious gossip. This is false accusation and testimony. And yet even that pales in comparison to what they resort to very soon thereafter. Where no less than five separate times what the religious leaders are alleging. They kick it up a notch and then they begin accusing Jesus of just flat out having a demon himself. They accuse Jesus of being satanic. Now we remember John chapter 8 as a very famous moment in history as Jesus says that, that if you continue in my word, you're going to know the truth and the truth will set you free. And yet here is how these religious leaders responded to that though, among other things. John eight forty eight, where they answer Jesus and they say, are we not right in saying that you are a, are a Samaritan and that you have a demon? Now, it might require a few more readings for us to really understand just what is going on here. I mean, it might, you know, it might not seem that bad to our ears, but I mean, this was the most venomous insult that you could ever give in ancient Palestine. To call a full-blooded you know, full Hebrew a Samaritan, I mean, these were fighting words. I mean, somebody is about to get punched in the throat. It would be like calling somebody the N-word. But not only calling them the N-word, but, but also saying that you are an N-word who has a demon in you. And so can we see this, this horrific mutation in the religious leaders? Where to the accuser's merriment, fingers are being pointed at God, but it's not Satan who's pointing fingers at God. It's religious people. It's the religious enforcers and the teachers. Slanderous accusations are being made against God, and the devil doesn't even have to say a word. He just kicks back. He's got a, you know, um, a thing of popcorn, and he's just enjoying the show. And here in Mark 3, though, as, as these Pharisees are, are so obsessed with, with finding an opportunity to accuse Jesus. Mark reveals to us that Jesus is just looking around the room, looking at them, and he's got anger in his eyes. But more than anything, though, it says that, that he's grieved to the heart. I don't see this as rage coming from Jesus. I, I see this as a very sad anger in his face. All of you who have children, I imagine that it's inevitable that eventually your child caused you to feel this exact same way, more or less. Where they're going in a direction where you know is not good, it is very destructive perhaps, it's wrong. They're going to fall, you know it. You're angry about this, but at the same time, I mean, you just love them so much and you see potential in them. And it just grieves you to your heart, perhaps. As Jesus looks at these religious people, I, I imagine what, what is going on in his mind is something like this. Where he's looking at them in, in such a way that says, I mean, why do you guys have to keep doing this? 
Just going around, spending your, your whole entire life accusing, 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 accusing. Blaming, blaming, blaming. Everywhere you go, you have a finger pointed in somebody's face. Why are you so obsessed with accusation? You know, and as a minister, I've run um, a couple of church websites now. <laughs> this is something that I, I um, have experienced a number of times. At a church in Florida, I was running, running a Facebook page for the church. And there was a guy who I never even met, had no ties to the church there in Nebraska somewhere. I'm in Florida, he's in Nebraska. And he's writing messages to us about how I noticed that there is a wooden cross on your wall and you're worshiping graven images at this church. You guys are a bunch of idol worshipers. Never met the guy in my life. Had no idea who this guy was. And Again, I just, you know, it just begs the question, why is he going to church websites saying this stuff? Is he trying to learn more about the Word of God? Is he trying to love God's church? Or, oh, no, it, it looks like he just wants to have an opportunity to just wag a finger in somebody's face and to be a malicious accuser. It's even happened here recently where we had a visitor not that long ago who had come and they went on our um, church page and they were making all, the, all, all these incendiary comments about how we have been vaccinated and now we are, are a bunch of Satan um, worshipers. And it's again, why did you show up? Was it to worship God? Or was it to just point a finger in, in someone's face? Now, as we see this morning, you can point a finger in Christians' faces all you want to, but it's not so much Christians who you're pointing a finger at and accusing maliciously, but you're really pointing a finger in God's face and being a malicious accuser of God and of Jesus Christ himself. And as we see the Pharisees, again, they're not foaming at the mouth from a demonic attachment. They're not rolling around on the ground being thrown into fires, grinding teeth, or, or anything like that. But isn't it interesting, though, that, that they are the ones who have demonic energy within them. They are the ones bringing the accusatory spirit of hell in every single room and conversation that they walk into. In so many ways, the grand majority of the scribes, Pharisees, elders, whoever, they became the Diabolos. They became the Hasatan, the accuser, the adversary. They became religious demoniacs, a synagogue of Satan masquerading as a beacon of light. And when Christians and when churches succumb to this exact same accusatory spirit of blaming and shaming, it can reach a point where it ceases to be Christ's church and it becomes a demonic fellowship. Perhaps this is one of the primary ways that it's possible for us to grieve the Holy Spirit as these religious types are grieving Jesus in the synagogue. And you know, the fact of the matter is, is that we don't need any more fingers being pointed at us. 
And that's because all of hell is already pointing at us. Revelation chapter 12 is where we began our series. And you might remember how in Revelation 12, Satan tries to destroy Jesus through the principalities and powers of King Herod. Well, as he fails, he then wages war with with Michael the archangel and all of, of Satan's angels. He loses again. He is cast down to earth. And I just want us to hear once again what is said there in Revelation 12, verse 10. Where it says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. And that's that's good news for heaven, isn't it? And yet for all of us on the earth, though, this means that a war is now breaking out. Specifically, notice, though, how he describes the devil. Latter part of verse 10, the one who accuses them day and night before our God. Day and night, they're pointing at us. Night and day, they are accusing us. See, the, the accuser has his finger pointed at the church. The adversary, the devil, is accusing us. And you know, when the devil begins accusing us of sinning, I mean, he doesn't always have to make stuff up, does he? God, I saw the whole thing. I saw the whole... God, I've got the evidence right here. You want to see see the, um, the footage? I've got surveillance footage right here, God. Now, as you know, Amy claims that she's a Christian. But you just saw it right here with me. As she picked up the phone and she lied to her boss twice. Lied to him twice. Now, as you can see right here, Frank leaves the worship service. And just two hours later, what is he doing on his laptop? He's looking at pornography. Now, does he look like a child of God to you? Kevin calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ, but did you just hear what he said to that guy in traffic? Can you see how much he hates Mexican people? Guy calls himself a Christian, huh? And yet, when it comes to our sin, though, it's very important that we understand, though, that when we indulge in the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life that John speaks about. This is not the fault of Satan or satanic angels or of his demons, but but rather when we sin, there is nobody else to point the finger at but ourselves. Now, as we might remember, the accuser stood before Adam and Eve accusing God of, of being, of really misleading them. But as soon as sin entered into the world, notice how Adam and Eve all of a sudden start looking like the accuser. Because what what are they doing as God calls them on their sin? They have fingers pointed in all kinds of directions. Eve says, well, the devil made me do it. And her finger is pointed at the accuser himself. Adam says, well, it's my wife's fault. And so he has a finger pointed at his wife. I don't recommend that, but he has a finger pointed at his wife. But he also has a finger pointed at God. He's saying, if you never gave me this woman, because you gave me this woman, well, I'm in this mess, and it was really out of my control. 
And yet James makes it very clear though, doesn't he? Where he says that when we have been tempted to sin and when we do sin, that's not God's fault. It's not Satan's fault. But as he says, each person is lured and enticed by their own personal desires. And when desire has been conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, James says it brings forth death. And that's what the spiritual forces of darkness want. They, they want us to return to living in death. And that's what the bad news is. But, but here's the good news, lastly this morning. Is that even though it's true that night and day, day and night, that, that the spiritual forces of evil and Satan are, are accusing us. Day and night, our accusers' accusations are now being silenced. I think one of my favorite scenes in all the scripture is in Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah the prophet sees a, an incredible vision of, of Joshua the high priest standing before an angel of the Lord. And he is representative of the whole entire nation of Israel. And he's, he's, he's clothed in these filthy garments that is representative of, of all of the idolatry and corruption of Israel. And yet, it's not just the angel of the Lord and Joshua the high priest standing there, though, because there's also Satan. Satan is also there. What is he doing? He's doing what he does best. He's got a finger pointed in Joshua's face, and he's accusing him, by the way, accurately about all of the corruption and idolatry of Israel. Just about everything that he's saying and alleging is true. They, they are guilty of these things. And yet God in his great infinite mercy though says the Lord rebukes you Satan. And he silences their accuser and he dresses Joshua and Israel up in clean garments. John chapter 9, scribes and Pharisees are doing what scribes and Pharisees do best. They have a finger pointed at a woman. And they are accurately alleging that we caught her in the very act of adultery and she's not denying it. And she's like, yeah, I did it. Well, to make a long story short, they asked Jesus, what do you say we should do? Moses said we should stone such women as these, but what do you say? And at the very end of the encounter, Jesus like stands up and he challenges them. And he says that if any one of you in this angry, violent mob would like to step out of the security of this violent mob as an individual, and to act as judge, jury, and executioner over this woman because of her sin. By all means, you can throw the first stone. I imagine this guilty woman closes her eyes and she is just about to brace for the stones that are about to hit her. And yet as she opens up her eyes, about a minute later though, there's nobody else standing there but her and Jesus. She looks down and all of the stones have hit the ground. Jesus looking at her says, Woman, where have they gone? Where have your accusers gone? Does anybody condemn you? And she says, No one, Lord. And then he says, Go and from now on sin no more. In other words, go from this, this experience. And live in what one day you will know of as, as living in the spirit rather than indulging in the flesh. 
And my brothers and sisters, even though we stand guilty of sins, we have committed in the past week, and we know that we, we are guilty of it. When we're children of God and we're walking in the light as He is in the light. Paul, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, says this, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And now Jesus is standing with, with us. As before, every finger in hell had been pointed at us in accusation. And yet as we open up our eyes, Jesus, it's just us and Jesus now, and Jesus says, where have they gone? Where have your accusers gone now? Was one of them able to separate you from my love for you? And no, Lord. For we can say that neither death nor life, nor angels or principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of Jesus Christ, which is in our God. Jesus says, rightfully so, and I do not condemn you either. Go, and from now on, choose the Spirit rather than the flesh. Or, as I imagine he would say just as easily to us this morning, go, and from now on, don't be a diabolos. Be a Yeshua, be a, a Jesus, be an extension of me in this world. I mean, we're, we're living in a society that loves to point the finger and that lives to blame others for their own darkness. And what we've seen more than anything this morning is that to live in this accusatory, perpetual way is to literally undergo a living hell on the earth. But when we refuse to be just another Diabolos waving a finger in somebody's face, we become an extension of Jesus Christ, who breathes his grace and his mercy in every single room and in every single conversation that we walk into. As we close this message, let us go to God in prayer.